we see meetings as having a disproportionate influence on culture. Yeah. So if I really want to affect the culture in my company, meetings are a really easy place to start. Welcome to the People at Work podcast, where we chat with people who are trying to simplify and align their workplaces. It's Dustin from Jossel, and I'll be your host for this episode. So today I'm chatting with Darren Chait, who is the co-founder and COO of Hugo and co-author of 10X Culture. Hey, Darren, how's it going? Hey, good, Dustin. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, me and my team actually started using Hugo, and I just finished your book, so it, I think it'll be a good conversation. Um, I'm pretty familiar with you guys now, but just to give our listeners a, a bit of a background, can you maybe explain kind of your journey, what led you to found Hugo, and, and what it is you guys do and what you stand for? Yeah, totally. So as you can probably hear, I am originally Australian, uh, but based in the, in the Bay Area, San Francisco today. I'm mm -hmm. co-founder of Hugo. And originally, I was actually a corporate lawyer. So very frustrated with the cost of meetings and, the, and some of the challenges around the way we meet. Sure, we'll chat a bit about that later, um, and that that drove myself and uh, my co-founder Josh to set up set up Hugo. Um, we we founded Hugo a couple of years ago here in San Francisco, um, and for those who don't know, Hugo is connected meeting notes software. So centralized searchable meeting notes uh, built on top of your calendar uh, that shares your meeting insights with your team and your tools. Very cool. So that's that's an interesting journey going from lawyer to founding a tech company. Um, I imagine that was maybe a bit of a, a scary but kind of exhilarating start. Uh, how was that, yeah. that switch for you? Totally. It's obviously super different. Uh, you, know, you know, it's really funny, right? So I was working for a big corporate law firm, um, the largest firm in Australia. And as, as you probably know, lawyers build their time in six minute increments. Yeah. So when we talk about productivity and efficiency, um, which is obviously something that we all you know, care a lot about uh, for those of us building businesses in particular, it's really obvious how inefficient, how unproductive and how costly time wasted time wastage is when you're a lawyer. So with meetings specifically, I'd walk out of a meeting and then you'd literally see pop up the cost of the meeting. I'm like, man, I just sat there writing notes, didn't say a word, had no idea what was going on. That just cost the client $3,000. Yeah. So that, that just sort of blew my mind. But, uh, more and more of these frustrations were coming up and I wanted to do something about it. And I've always had that itch. I always, you know, considered myself a bit of an entrepreneur, sort of ended up in law school and, 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 and took a grad job and was there for a few years. Um, so I wanted to go about solving one of my most frustrating problem, which was about meetings and uh, teamed up with a, with a friend uh, who I'd done some work with before. Um, and we set up Hugo to go and do that. So a really different uh, sort of journey and, uh, uh, environment to be working in, but really connected to the pain I experienced as a lawyer. Yeah. And I find that's how some of the best businesses start too, is just dealing with a pain and annoyance that you've felt firsthand. Um, then, then you can get in the customer mindset a lot easier. Exactly. Uh, so exactly. yeah, I, I did read your book. And one thing that's really interesting and probably a challenge for most people listening is you guys have, uh, I guess, an internal rule where you keep meetings to four hours a week per person. I'm curious kind of why you decided to do that and how you actually made that happen. Yeah, totally. I love uh, talking about our four hour meeting week at events and that <laughs> and watching everyone's faces in the, uh, in the front row uh, where they're yeah. <laughs> um, looking at you like you're crazy. How's that possible? Um, so it's actually, it, it, firstly, it's been one of the most transformative principles um, or ideas that we've implemented in our business. Um, mm -hmm. How did we do it and why did we do it? So firstly, the rule is that uh, no member of our team uh, should or can spend more than four hours of their week in internal meetings. 
Um, and unless it's your job, right? If I'm in, if I'm in HR recruiting, things like that, that, that yeah. that's fair enough. So the reason we did it was we observed in, in our company in the early days and in many others, meetings are being used for the wrong reason. Uh, we, we see the purpose or the need for a meeting as a place for discussion, debate, and decision-making, the three Ds. But in reality, what happens in meetings, they're used to update people, to share information, to, to tell people what you've been working on. It's 2019. We have such amazing collaboration tools. Why do I need to go and pull everyone away from their desks, stop what they're doing, sit in a room to see or hear or be updated? They, they can see that. They can read that. We have every chat app, every document collaboration app, every other tool under the sun to help us do that. So by increasing the cost of a meeting, the scarcity of, of the meeting, um, we increase the value and, uh, and the respect, I guess, that people give towards meetings. So very, very quickly, you know, you, you can only spend a few hours this week in a meeting. Does it really need a meeting? And when I'm in that meeting, what am I using that meeting for? Yeah, definitely would make the person more conscious. Like, okay, this is an hour long meeting. This is a quarter of the time I'm allotted this week. I better make it count. Um, so exactly. That, that totally makes a lot of sense. And is this something you guys had since the very start? Or was it something you kind of added uh, as you grew? Pretty early on because meeting culture is so core to our business and, and obviously the software we make too. Um, yeah. So if we, if we couldn't get our meetings right, how are we going to get the rest of the business right, if you like, or the rest of the team culture right? Um, mm. And we also, and we talk a bit about it in the book, but we see meetings as having a disproportionate influence on culture. Yeah. So if I really want to affect the culture in my company, meetings are a really easy place to start. Um, it's the sort of, it's the forum for the most interpersonal communication activity. It's where, as I mentioned before, decision, discussion, debate occurs. Um, it's, uh, it's typically in most companies taking up most of their week. If we just change the way we meet, we're going to change the way we work. So we looked at meetings very closely, perhaps more than we did any other aspect of, of, of your day-to-day teamwork. Yeah, and it's nice to see you guys kind of, like, for lack of a better term, drinking the, your own Kool-Aid of like, <laughs> hey, meetings need to be productive. That's why we created this product. So let's live that. So that's, it's good when that's always aligned. Um, I'm curious too, with, with less meetings, you kind of by default have more time to actually take action and, and do work. So is the speed of execution something that helps you guys? And is that kind of a focus? Exactly. So speed is uh, something that's sort of near and dear to our hearts and my heart in particular. And we'll talk about, I'll talk about speed, definition of speed in a second, but Mm -hmm. something that was sort of scary and, you know, you've had, I know a number of other founders um, on the show and uh, and you're you're obviously, you know, an executive in a a growing tech company yourself. Um, Something we realized early on is that uh, all we've got going for us or one of the strongest things we've got going for us is the tempo at which we're operating. Um, there's many other larger companies out there who have a better resource, have more market knowledge, have a larger audience. And all we've got to fight them with is the pace at which we can make mistakes, figure out the best, the best solution, the best approach, and then execute on it. So if we're, not, if we're not winning from a speed perspective, we're likely to lose on every front. So we sort of see internally that that is our differentiator. Yes, 
um, this company could build these features and perhaps compete with us or that company could take a similar view and, uh, and, and uh, build things in the same way. Uh, but really, we're going to win on speed. And of course, speed isn't just building the product first. It's, it's making the mistakes that they're going to make first. It, it's then testing those solutions to those mistakes first. Um, it's learning what you know first. So um, for us, speed equals differentiation. Yeah. And I mean, as a smaller company going against some of those giants as well, just being nimble and being able to do that is huge. We're, we're kind of in the same boat. Yeah. Like we often go against the Microsofts and even the Facebooks now of the world. Um, yeah. And yeah, speed is absolutely a differentiator because it's hard to move that giant bus of a company. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Cool. That makes a lot of sense. And then you mentioned um, in the book, you talked about speed versus tempo, which I thought was kind of a really interesting distinction. Do you mind explaining that a little bit for our guests? Yeah, totally. So there's, you know, 2019 millennials were obsessed with speed, moving fast, mm-hmm. velocity, all, all these great words. Um, you know, we all want to talk about how busy we are, how fast we're moving uh, and, and, and all those, um, all those concepts. Um, another lesson we learned early on ourselves in, in building Hugo is uh, we obviously want to be moving faster for the reasons I mentioned. That's our differentiation. But there's sort of productive pace and unproductive pace. Mm-hmm. So we, we read about some interesting concepts um, around the, the use of the word tempo. Now, the difference between speed and tempo um, is that uh, tempo is rate of motion. Um, whereas speed is the time that elapses while moving from A to B. Sounds really nerdy and <laughs> semantic, but let me, <laughs> let me explain what I mean. So um, if I want to shoot faster, if I'm teaching someone how to shoot a gun, for example, um, I can, and, and I want them to shoot 10 bullets as fast as they can. Um, and an amateur marksman or shooter will go and fire that trigger as fast as they possibly can um, and, uh, and, and try and get those bullets out onto the target as quickly as they can. A very experienced speed shooter will actually pull the trigger really, really slowly and then, and then let the trigger bounce back as fast as they can and pull it really, really slowly and bounce back as fast as they can. Now, the net, you're going to watch them go, what are you doing? You're, you're pulling the trigger so slowly. But actually, their tempo is far faster and the net outcome is going to be that much faster. So the metaphor, which is a little strange, uh, don't get me wrong, um, is around the way we, the, where we, where we would move really fast and where we're thoughtful and methodical. The temptation is to get everything out the door as fast as you can. Um, but particularly with software and product in 2019, um, to be competitive, to, to, to create that love of, you know, from our customers for what we're doing, things have to be beautiful. They have to be well thought out. They have to work well. So how do you balance the need to do things properly and methodically and well thought out versus the need to do things fast? Well, that's tempo. Tempo looks at your overall pace, but you can accelerate on the things that can be done really quickly. Don't get bogged down in red tape and process and, um, and, and, and those little day-to-day things that you, can just, that you should be doing really fast. But don't use that as an excuse not to, be, not to think about perfection and, and beauty and doing things properly. Um, and that's why very often in a meeting even or in a conversation, um, when, someone, when we realize how much pressure we're under to get things done, we'll talk a lot about speed versus tempo. Um, is, are, we, are we doing that um, speedily or are we doing that with reference to, to a fast tempo? Yeah, that's pretty aligned with how, how we think, actually. So one of our kind of core values here uh, that we have is we, we call it craftsmanship, but it's kind yeah. of the same idea. Like you don't want to just push a bunch of junk out the door as fast as you can. Uh, people are comparing you to consumer-grade apps because that's what they use and they're beautiful and easy exactly. to use. 
So I, I do think the companies that keep that in mind are the ones that are going to win. Um, exactly. I love that word. Craftsmanship is exactly it. But the, the challenge once got is that craftsmanship uh, is, is going, a value of craftsmanship is going to dictate a really amazing product experience and everything else that you produce. But you, how, how do you make sure that, that you're not using that as cover to slow down, to justify exactly. doing yeah. things too slowly? And again, it, it's obviously all sort of metaphorical in that, but we, that's how we often think about it from a tempo versus speed perspective. And even just personally, keeping myself focused. Am I spending too much time on this? Uh, or, or should I move on? Or really, should I keep giving it the time it deserves? Yeah, there's always, with everything, there's kind of that point of diminishing returns, right? If you get it 95% yeah. of the way, in some cases, that's great. Other things, maybe 75 is good if it's just a small thing. So yeah, it's totally that balance, which is, is a struggle, though, especially living a busy life leading a company. Oh, right? yeah. And my background as a lawyer doesn't help there, uh, as, <laughs> as you probably know. And for anyone who's dealt with lawyers, uh, there's, there's definitely an element of uh, perfection over pragmatism where you know, backwards and forwards on the clock, looking for those small little minor changes that make no commercial difference. So I was definitely originally wired the wrong way. And maybe that's why I care so much about tempo <laughs> over speed. Yeah. I'm no, finding sure. it slowly. <laughs> it's it's impressive though that you could make that, make that switch back and like be aware enough to, to kind of get out of that perfectionism mode. It, it's tough. You learn, right? When yeah. you uh, when you when you put something out and uh, sort of see the see what happens and the difference between something that you're very happy with or something that's absolutely perfect and no one cares, you learn very quickly <laughs> where your time's being wasted. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so, so one other thing you guys mentioned that was really interesting to me is, and this has come up in multiple interviews I've done for this podcast, is uh, the culture of transparency is incredibly important nowadays. And you take that to a whole nother level with sharing meeting notes with your whole company. Um, to me, it makes a lot of sense because to be honest, a lot of meetings could probably be emails and sharing the notes gets you 95% of the way there. Um, have you found certain companies maybe a little hesitant to do that and openly share their notes across the entire company or department? Yeah, we absolutely have. Um, Firstly, in general, those companies, uh, we have a much harder task where we have to educate them in our view on uh, building modern team culture and getting the most out of your team. And that's a hard thing for a young company to do. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's something we obviously want to do increasingly. Uh, so we love those companies that get it. Um, and to be honest, you can tell a lot about whether companies have that mentality and where they get it by the other tools they use like your slacks and um you know you make jostles and, and all the other modern collaboration tools of the world yeah um but what uh what we're finding uh, there's definitely a trend towards that um towards transparency towards openness uh we don't have to work too hard to educate the market on the importance of sharing more widely so uh we we're, we're sort of riding that wave because of the value we've seen where people in other departments having access to these insights to what's happening um are doing much better work they're more engaged they're coming up with really great ideas in areas they're not typically asked for in input on just simply because this information is readily available they default to open yeah and i mean we're so used to consuming just massive amounts of information all the time now uh, like we're kind of bombarded with it, right? right. Be it exactly. news channels or social networks or social, whatever. So, yeah. so I think they're used to just absorbing info quickly. Um, mm -hmm. That makes a ton of sense. I, I just imagine there'd be some, maybe just types of people who would want to hold their notes kind of close to their vest and 
be maybe a little afraid to kind of share and share early. Um, but I guess totally. that's something that's just difficult to change. Yeah, it's difficult. Sorry, it's difficult to change. Uh, although I think the, as the the value of doing that's becoming more and more evident, it, it's changing. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's. I think back to you know, it's not even a generation ago. It's the early parts of my career. The concept of need to know is just how businesses do business, right? Yeah. So you know, people, you give people access to the information they need to know. It's default closed. Um, you don't have access unless you need to know it. Um, we're obviously flipping that on its head. We're saying default open unless there's something particularly sensitive. Um, so the death or the end of need to know um, as a concept in business is a really, really big shift. It's going to take a long time, but you're seeing the benefits. Um, mm-hmm. Aussie company originally Atlassian are really well known for open, but like those four letters sum up their entire company's value and culture. Um, and they're writing, you know, they've got a 30 something billion dollar market cap growing like crazy, writing stories about their team and how they run on open. Um, we have a few, you know, with a few more of those around every business out there are hearing these stories and starting to think, well, hang on, maybe this fundamental way of doing things that we've always done uh, isn't right anymore. So I, th- I think it's naturally going to happen. Yeah. And I think so would open my eyes to kind of that transparency and opening up, especially cross departments. Um, I, I work in marketing, so it was actually writing website copy. And yeah. that's something where you can lock yourself in a room and just write and throw it on the site and hope it works. Um, but it's like shocking how if you share it with an engineer, a salesperson, someone from success, you get this influx of different ideas and different concepts yeah. that I would in no way ever think of. Um, and I think that's exactly. one of the benefits of sharing the meeting notes openly. Totally. Diversity of perspectives. You remind me, um, a book came out end of last year, uh, 20, sorry, 20, 2017. Anyway, um, called Principles by Ray Dalio. And Ray Dalio is the, he founded Bridgewater Capital, a very well-known mm-hmm. hedge fund. I'm not sure if you've come across it. It's a really, really big book and a uh, little, little daunting looking, but Bridgewater's <laughs> got a reputation for uh, some really unique uh, business and, and management practices. Uh, they film every meeting and a few other crazy things, but he summarized everything he'd learned in building one of the world's most successful funds um, into this book um, of a few different principles for, for work and for life. And one of the principles that stuck with us in particular is the idea of the idea, the principle of the idea meritocracy. Mm-hmm. The idea meritocracy says that the best idea should win wherever it comes from to paraphrase. Now we realized that early on as founders, we of course think the world's, you know, the world's crumbling and then we've got the weight of the world on our shoulders and we have to solve every problem and, uh, and, and show our team the right way to solve these problems in their respective disciplines. Uh, that's fundamentally wrong because we've hired a bunch of really smart people from all walks of life, professionally, socially, um, economically um, who come together um, and they're looking to solve those problems. So if we all of a, if, if we all of a sudden allow the best ideas and the best solutions to rise wherever they've come from, we're going to end up with far better outcomes. Um, and, and we saw that time and time again in the early days of building Hugo, some of our first, you know, really fundamental existential problems in marketing and growth came from engineering people. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the technical challenges with real-time collaboration and some of the, you know, the messy, complicated things we have to do in our product um, came from designers uh, because only because they were exposed to, to the problem, to the conversation, to the discussion, and then were listened to when they threw an idea out there that no one thought would ever be of value coming from that department. 
So I'm uh, absolutely subscribed to what you're saying there. It's the, the idea of meritocracy and, and, and allowing the best ideas to win is completely premised on openness and everyone having access to all the information they need. Yeah, and I think part of the, the struggle to kind of have um, the top ideas rise up is people's inclination to kind of accept what a leader says as fact rather than as, as a question, an invitation to maybe give an idea. Um, yeah. So that can always be a struggle. I purposely try to make a point when talking to my people on my team to ask a question when I have an idea rather than verbally saying like, hey, we should do this because I'm going to be wrong a bunch of the time and I'd rather see what they think. Um, is that something you guys do internally or, or maybe struggled with a bit? Yeah, absolutely. We wrote quite a bit about that, um, as you'll remember, in the 10x leadership section, the language mm -hmm. of leadership. Um, totally. There's this understanding, and again, another you know, bit of baggage from my background in, in the corporate world, that of, uh, of top-down decision-making, where uh, the boss, the most senior person, the leader in, in the room, in the forum, uh, is the one that's dictating how the problem's solved. So you're very much used to, as an inexperienced leader, as, as we were and are to some extent, um, we're used to trying to come up with a solution, tell the team how to do things. So I really had to make a conscious effort to flip that. And there's a few easy, um, there's a few easy things you can do. I mean, some of the, like you mentioned, reframing, uh, reframing ideas and solutions as questions. Um, you know, the people often talk about the, um, the yes and instead of the no, mm -hmm. no and or no but, you know, approach and things like that. Um, trying to change the way you communicate to enable others in the room to speak up. Um, and you know what else is interesting, actually, and probably close to your heart, based on what Jostle does as well, is mixing up the forum. Like something we mm -hmm. figured out early on is um, different people communicate and, and contribute their, their ideas in different ways. So if a meeting is always the place where, where, where ideas are, are surfaced and then decided on, you're going to have people who don't feel comfortable or they're just not effective at speaking up that way and you're, you're forever never going to get the value of those people's brains but if you can share your meeting notes to slack and encourage thread-based communication on it if you can um, drive conversation around a page in your wiki and, and and ask others if they have any edits to make if you can comment in a document and, uh, and and encourage them to to weigh in with better solutions well there's like five different forums where people can can weigh in um, when, whereas you otherwise may not have heard from them. So uh, I think there's a few elements to that, um, to that point, but really important nonetheless. Yeah. And I think that last point about different forms of communication and even maybe different ways of asking different types of people. Um, True. That's something I've had to learn, like working yeah. with people who are maybe a little more introverted, but very bright and have great ideas. You can't call them out blatantly in a meeting. They're going to freeze up and it's going to freak them out. Yeah. Um, yeah. But if you tag them in a Google Doc and say, hey, what do you think of this? They'll drop in and just hit you with all this knowledge and things you never thought of. Um, so it is like knowing your people and knowing how they want to communicate and then kind of balancing that, I think. Totally agree. Exactly. Good point. Yeah. And then I, I was curious too, one value you guys mentioned that, again, is actually quite aligned with ours. Um, we frame it a little different. We say we have a culture of open debate. And it's, you talked about strong opinions weekly held, which kind of resonated and felt the same, same way to me. Do you want to maybe explain that, that value or that principle and how it's helped you? Yep, absolutely. So um, that's uh, one of our core values, Hugo. And so we only hire people who have strong opinions, firstly. Um, why? Mm -hmm. 
if you're not, uh, if you don't, in our view, have a strong opinion about what we're doing, what we're building, and why we're building it, um, you're not, uh, you're, you're not, you don't, you know, care enough and engage enough with the, the business and the product. And you know, of course, as a startup and as an early stage company, we want people on the team who, who genuinely care about solving the problem we're solving, about our customers, about the problem space, about the opportunity. Um, and that's that's an obvious one. Uh, people who are indifferent or don't have that passion or hunger or drive for the problem we're solving and the solution with which we're doing it, um, are, you know, aren't, uh, aren't uh, going to be the right fit at that point. Mm-hmm. And that's not that differentiated. I think everyone wants to hire people who, who care intimately about what you're doing. The weekly held though is, 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 is the different, is the different bit. So the weekly held for us really goes back to that idea, meritocracy idea. Yeah. We don't, we, we don't want people um, defending a position and fighting for a, for a view um, that isn't the best outcome for, for everyone. So, um, you know, a lot of ego and other, and other sort of negative traits come into this, but we want people who can defend their idea and their position and, and, and advocate for what they think should happen right until the end because they, they do care and they're so excited about what we're doing. But as soon as there's a better idea that comes out there or data that, 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 um, that suggests that idea isn't quite right, they need to be very quick to back off. Um, otherwise, mm-hmm. really, we're just, uh, you know, that the what you mentioned about um, Jostle's value there, um, we're having unproductive debate. We're really just defending a whole lot of positions rather than uh, the objective of the discussion, which is to come up with the best outcome. So it's another way of us communicating how we want to operate as an idea meritocracy, um, where we want the best ideas to win. We want people to care about their ideas and be engaged um, with, with what's, what's at hand, um, but not be defending them once it's no longer the best idea necessarily. Yeah, and I think the weekly held part kind of has to be modeled from the leadership as well. There's something pretty powerful where senior leader presents an idea, gets some conflicting information, and then openly admits in front of everyone, hey, I was wrong, let's look at yeah. this a different way. And a lot of leaders, or maybe not a lot, but there's definitely some who won't do that. They want to save face a little bit scared to admit they're wrong. Um, so I think that's something that flows down from the top for sure. It's old fashioned. You know, the, wh- one of the bits of advice I got early on learning to be a leader and running a business was, was to be vulnerable. And that, mm-hmm. you know, just two words that, that really means a lot to me there because the, the, the perfect leader who's this, you know, strength of authority and always right in my mind sits in the, uh, sits in the need to know camp of last generation. That's not how you do business anymore. Um, you can try to do business that way, but you're writing off the brains and ideas and, and engagement of all these really smart people that you spent so much time and money hiring. So if you want to be, if you want to be a successful leader in this, in, you know, in this era, um, you need to be vulnerable. You need to make mistakes. You need to identify when you make mistakes. You need to turn to the team when you don't have a solution um, because one, they're going to, they're going to trust you and, 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 um, and have faith in you as a leader, very importantly. But two, you're then opening up for them to surface the ideas and solutions and, and uh, ways forward. Um, it's, not, it's not all on you anymore. Yeah, and I mean, every employee wants to A, feel like they're valued and B, feel like they're making a contribution. And, and exactly. that totally enables that, right? Uh, since you totally. threw a book suggestion at me, I'll, I'll throw one back because it's, <laughs> it's kind of on that topic. And we actually interviewed him yeah. on the podcast. Uh, Max Yoder from Lessonly, his book's called Do yes. Better Work. And there's a whole chapter yep, yep. On, on vulnerability, which is like totally in line with what you're talking about. Yep. Yep. I've, uh, I've actually read that. I haven't read in a few years. I met Max at a conference once and uh, got, got a copy of the book. I should reread that now, now that we've got 10X Culture out. 
Yeah, there's definitely some similarities between the two, which was awesome. It's nice to see those messages kind of be reinforced and built on. So, um, so on the topic of, of 10x culture, uh, what led you to decide, hey, we need to write a book about this? What was kind of the, the initial spark there? <laughs> It's so funny because the book is uh, probably my strongest example of imposter syndrome. Um, what, 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 you know, I feel like, what do we know about, about building great teams? We've only done it once. And I like to think we've done you know, a great job as a company in building, in building a team that way. Uh, but people have done it many more times. Uh, but what happened essentially is we're obviously um, very interested and involved in meeting culture. Um, mm-hmm. you know, thousands of customers that we talk to um, all the time, understanding what they're doing, what they're not doing, where Hugo's helping them, where it's not, where the opportunity is, et cetera. And, and we, we started coming across all these really cool ideas. So we kept a little, um, like, you know, a gold chest, if a treasure chest <laughs> of, um, of, of, of the ideas in practice out there around meeting culture. Yeah. And we soon realized when we look back at it, it's not meeting culture, it's just team culture. Meeting culture is just one aspect of it, but it's so tightly coupled with the culture of your team and the way you do things. Um, and that list just kept growing every week. And we work closely with a few uh, partners like Atlassian and Zoom and others. Um, and we did the same with them. We were asking them, what are they doing? What aren't they doing? And before we knew it, we had this, this document and uh, we thought it was sort of only fair to socialize and share what we'd learned from all these other great companies um, with those companies and, and many others like us who, who would love to learn these ideas. So we put that into, we put that into a book um, telling the story of what, you know, the most innovative, fast-moving teams are doing with their teams and trying to avoid as many buzzwords as we can, which is, <laughs> which is a tough one when you're dealing with team culture. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel that in our, in our marketing as well. Uh, you can only say yeah. culture and engagement so many times. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. I know. We, tried a few, we tried a few titles to, uh, to try and mask it. But in the end, that's what it is. And yeah. you know, we, we have some contrarian views on that. I Just last week, I was, uh, I was at a conference in New York and someone came up to me and said, oh, I've read the book and it's actually really good timing because we're redoing our culture at the moment. And I, I looked at her so blankly. Um, she's like, <laughs> what is that a problem? I'm like, well, it's not exactly like painting your living room. You, you don't roll out a culture. The yeah. culture is the derivative or a function of, of your team and the behaviors and personalities and values. Um, you can absolutely you know, implement strategies and processes and change those those things, uh, those behaviors and processes and things like that. Uh, but you can't just roll out a new culture where to last week, this is our culture and next week it looks <laughs> like that. Um, and it really made me think about, about the, some of the negative connotations and of these buzzwords. Yeah. I mean, you can fight it all you want, but culture for the most part or for a big percentage of it is going to be from the bottoms up, right? It's how your exactly. people feel. Are they happy at work? That's really what it boils down to. Um, yeah, it's so nebulous. It's like, where do you start? Yep. Yeah. Totally, totally. Awesome. Um, cool. That was, I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you so much for being a guest. Me too. That was great. Likewise, um, thanks for having me. Yeah, great chat. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, can you maybe give our listeners um, a bit of info on where they can either get the book or learn more about Hugo as a company? Totally, sure. So if you go to www.hugo.team, very, very apt uh, what we're talking about, <laughs> Hugo.team, you can learn a lot about Hugo um, and Hugo.team forward slash 10x. Um, there's links for the book and uh, I've just put up a, a free ebook, a digital copy. So if you can actually read it for free um, via that site forward slash 10x, um, otherwise it's on Amazon and a few other bookstores. 
Nice. And I would suggest for everyone who wants to kind of organize their meetings and keep their notes together and transparent to give it a try. You guys do have a, a freemium model so you can get a small team together and kind of explore exactly. it. Um, we've done that internally and hopefully that grows within and we can keep it going here. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Dustin. Great to chat. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of People at Work. I'm really enjoying these conversations and I hope you are too. It would really mean a lot for us if you could please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. The more reviews we get, the more people discover our podcasts, and personally, I'd really appreciate it. Also, if you aren't subscribed yet, feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it. Wherever you get your podcasts, you're going to be able to find us. And it's best to subscribe just so you don't miss any future episodes. And again, thank you. And feel free to reach out anytime at dustin at jostle.me or connect with me on LinkedIn. All right, take care.